What's up, everybody? Michael Nettemeyer here, and you're listening to the Whitwin Podcast, whatever it takes, whenever it's needed. We have a special episode for you today. Jeff King and I are talking specifically to real estate agents. This episode is for you, all the real estate agents out there. We're going to be covering why it's more important now than ever before to be doing an effective buyer consultation. So give it a listen. Hope you get some value from it. Enjoy. All right. What's up, Jeff? Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you this morning? Very good. Good, good. All right. Thanks for being on. I think we are live. Let me double check real quick. Just want to confirm that. Yes, we're on. Cool. Okay. Good deal. Thanks for being on. So good morning, everybody. Welcome. Today, Jeff and I are going to be talking about buyer consultations, how to structure an effective buyer consultation, as well as why it's more important now than ever before to do a buyer consultation. So I talked to so many people and I've known so many realtors over the years that are working with buyers without ever having done a buyer consultation. They don't sit down and explain the process. They don't get a buyer agency agreement signed and they get frustrated when the person buys a house without them or when the person goes to an open house and writes a contract or when the person goes to a new construction and makes an offer and they don't get any commission or they walk into another listing and they just call another realtor and they think, oh, I couldn't get a hold of you. So I called the listing agent and I wrote an offer. It happens all the time. And it's our fault. Think about this. You wouldn't take a listing without a listing agreement. So why would you be working with a buyer without a buyer agency agreement? The reason people work with buyers without buyer agency agreements is one, they're scared to ask because they don't practice enough the scripts to be able to conduct an effective buyer consultation. Maybe they don't know how to do a buyer consultation at all. They don't know what to say. They don't know what value they bring. They don't know how to educate. But right now in this market, given that there's limited inventory, given that people have to pay over asking price, given that people might have to waive appraisal, they might have to waive inspections, that may have to put more money down, that may have to put more earnest money down, may have to make earnest money non-refundable. There's a thousand different things you might have to do right now to to structure your offer to compete against other offers, because the chances are you're not the only one. There might be five, six, 10 other offers. How do you make that the best offer possible? And the way you do that is you start with having a very, very, very effective buyer consultation at the beginning of the process before you even go show them homes. You're setting yourself up as an expert. You're setting yourself up as a professional because you brought them into your office. The client is buying into the process because they are committing that, hey, I'm, I'm taking this serious. It's not just send me some houses. And if you send me the right one, I'll use you. But I've also got 10 other realtors sending me houses. So I'm going to use one of them if they send it. They're buying into the process. You're getting an agency agreement signed with them. Now the likelihood of you closing that person and going to the closing table is significantly higher than if it's just people that you met at an open house that you've never met with. Other than that, that you're just sending houses to. Would you agree with that, Jeff? I would. So a lot of things that you hit on there, they're extremely important. So because of how fast the market is moving right now, it is way more important now to be having buyer consultations, especially if you've never had them in the past before, because you're doing almost all of the groundwork, all of the foundational work that you need to be successful before you actually go out and show them the house. And so that's what a lot of people I think um, overlook, I guess, is, and I know I did in the beginning too, I didn't really understand the importance of, oh, well, why do I need to you know, meet with someone, let's just go show them houses. They'll tell me if they like the house, what they don't like about the house. But what I found is that you waste a ton of time if you do it that way. Yes. So the buyer consultation itself also separates the people that just want to go look at houses for fun 
versus the buyers that are very serious. They want to get into a house. They need to get in the house and they're ready to go buy. They're buying into the process by coming and meeting with you. So that shows that they're willing to commit to kind of the entire process, not just, oh, I want to go look at some houses or, oh, this cool house popped up on Zillow this weekend. Let's go hurry up front and go see it. And I know a lot of agents do go and show them. And it, it depends a lot too on the type of leads that you're dealing with. So take, for example, it's a buyer that you've been talking with over you know, the past couple of months, you're kind of nurturing them. You've never really met with them, but they're finally ready to buy a house this summer at some point in time. That's someone that you want to have a sit down conversation and you have to have a buyer's consultation with, because if you've been nurturing them along, things have changed potentially over the last several months. If you've talked to them in the very beginning, this is what I'm also finding too with buyers that maybe you talked to last year that said, oh, well, we want to wait until next summer, meaning like right now. And those buyers that if they were pre-approved in the past, uh, you need to get them and make sure that they are connected with a very good lender that will update their pre-approval and go over things that have changed, especially market condition wise, interest rates, what their monthly payments are, anything that's changed in their financial picture uh, to get an updated pre-approval. So that's definitely step one. Now, the other type of leads that you might be working with, those are internet leads, for example. Internet leads, I can see where you, you get an internet lead, you're excited to meet with them, they wanna go see a house, you go and show them the house. And so this is kind of a case-by-case -case scenario where you really have to pre-qualify them over the phone and you're almost having a mini buyer consultation. So it's not fair to say like, oh, it's an internet lead, we don't have to have a buyer consultation. You're just potentially going about it a little bit differently if that person says, hey, I wanna go see this house right here, right now, because they could be a little bit further along in the process of buying a house. And also too, if they're an internet lead and you paid for that lead, chances are you are not the only one that they are potentially getting calls from. So you have to kind of distinguish your leads, but either way, no matter what the lead type, no matter where the lead source is coming from, everything that we're about to talk about today with the buyer's consultation still applies. So I just wanted to throw that out there that we, we're talking about a buyer consultation as in coming into the office, sitting down with us, going over the process. If you have an internet lead that's like ready to go right now, right here today, you should still ask all of these questions. You may not necessarily sit down in front of them in the office. You might do it over the phone or at the first showing, but still ask, and get answers to all the questions that we're going to talk about today. Well, and, and to go back to your internet leads. So when I was working with buyers, my rule of thumb was always I would show them one house. So if they inquired on my website, wanted to see a house, I was going to call them, do as much as I could to pre-qualify them ahead of time. So I was going to ask them up front, are you working with a realtor? And what do they always say, Jeff? Oh, no, no I don't have anyone. Follow-up question. They're always going to say no. No, I'm not. So you have to have the follow-up question. Are you working with a realtor? No. Fantastic. Out of curiosity, if you liked the property and wanted to make an offer, would you allow me to represent you? That's the question where the truth comes out. And now they say, well, my uncle's a realtor, but he's fishing. My aunt's a realtor, but she's on vacation. My cousin's a realtor, but he's busy. I didn't want to bother him. So I want to spend and waste your time. That's when the truth comes out. So always ask, if you take nothing else from this, this, this thing, this training today, take that away. Ask that follow-up question. Are you working with a realtor? They're going to say no. Fantastic. If you like the property and wanted to make an offer, would you allow me to represent you? That's when you're going to get the truth. And if they say yes, well, then you know they're not working with anyone else. But you always ask that follow-up question because it's going to save you a lot of time. It really is. So asking them that question, I'm going to do as much um, vetting as I can ahead of time before I go show them that property. Because what a lot of agents will make a mistake that they want to try to get them in. This person wants to go see a house. They want to go see a house right now. Hey, I just saw this house. I'm going to go take a look at it as soon as I can. If I'm trying to force them to come into my office to do a buyer consultation, guess what they're going to do? 
they're going to call somebody else. So I'll go show them one and I'm going to meet with them. I'm going to get in front of them. I'm going to provide enough value and bring them a lot of data on the property, knows everything I can about that property to impress them as much as possible. And then I'm going to get them into my office, do a buyer consultation and get a buyer agency agreement signed before I would go show them any more homes. Would you agree with that, Jeff? Yes, exactly. That's the step-by-step -step that you should definitely take. So give them the one showing, pre-qualify as much as you can over the phone, still ask if they're pre-approved, who they're pre-approved with, because that's an important one. And then that way too, you know what you're walking into once you go to that showing. Because I, I agree that the rule of thumb on an internet lead is like, you usually have one chance. Yeah. You have one chance to get in front of them. You've got one chance to show them the house. And if it's not right then and there, they will call somebody else. Or if they're on multiple websites, they're going to be getting multiple calls. So it's kind of a first come first serve, in my opinion, on those. Totally agree. Absolutely. So we want to vet them as much as we can before we go show them that property. Now we want to get them into a house. And typically when, you, when you're asking over the phone, let's just say it's an internet lead again, and this is somebody that hit your website that maybe hasn't inquired about a specific property. You, they just hit your website. They're looking at a house. They didn't ask to go see it. We want to call them in the first five minutes. We're having a conversation. I want to get them into the office as soon as I can to get in front of them to do a buyer consultation. So typically people will say things like, well, I just want to just send me houses. Can you just send me the homes? So there's scripting around this as well. If you go back to, if you join our script group, uh, Real Estate Script Masters, uh, we, do, we cover a lot of this in there. But simple scripts, totally understand that you want to send me homes and I know your time is valuable and that's exactly why we should meet. May I explain? They're going to say what? Sure. A lot of our clients find that if we spend 10 to 15 minutes at the beginning of the process, I'm actually going to be able to save a lot of your time because I'm going to fully understand what's important to you in a home. And therefore, I'm going to begin previewing homes on your behalf and eliminating any houses that don't match exactly what is important to you in a home. You can see how that would save you a lot of time, couldn't you? So just little things like that, like having little scripts like that, like, yeah, I guess you're right. If, if we do spend a little bit of time together, I can go, because that's what we want to do as an agent too. As a real estate agent, you want to go out and be previewing homes for your client. There's nothing better. Again, when I was working with buyers back in the day, there was nothing better than when I could call a client and be like, look, I'm in this house right now. I think it's at everything you want. I think it's the perfect house for you. How soon can you get over here? They show up and they're like, oh my gosh, this house is amazing. Let's write an offer. You look like a hero because you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. So, but in order to be able to do that, you have to really understand what they want in a home. And that's why the buyer consultation is so important. So let's just assume that you get them to agree to come into your office. We're going to start talking about the framework for what the buyer consultation needs to look like. So Jeff, I walk into your office, say, hey Jeff, you know, I come in, I decide to meet, I'm looking for a house. What does that conversation look like? Absolutely. So basically when I'm first meeting with someone, whenever they first come into the office, a lot of that first initial beginning part of the conversation is going to revolve around recapping anything that we've talked to over the phone before, anything we've talked through through text messages, anything that I know about them that we've had a previous conversation with. So it's a really smooth, really easy way to get them to sit down. It's just recapping what we've talked about. So it might be something as simple as, hey, are you, I know you're interested in a specific school district or a specific area, or you said your lease ends in um, June or July. Are you still looking to move? Is that still the case? Yes. Basically, you're getting on the same simple foundation that you use to actually get them to the office. So you're not going to start bombarding them with a bunch of questions. It's not an interrogation. Make it fun. Make it exciting. You can joke about them being nervous or anxious or, you know, kind of looking forward to the process, especially if they're a first time home buyer, making sure they know that that's very normal. You're just trying to get on some simple ground, uh, simple, simple foundational steps with them that are really uh, an easy way to build 
kind of that rapport without going deep into, okay, we're going to buy a house and it's going to be a really serious process. We're going to talk a lot about a lot of things that are going to overwhelm them in the beginning. So the first step is make them feel welcome, make them sit down and get the conversation flowing. And really in the very beginning, after we do that, the, the big elephant in the room is have you talked with the lender? Like, have you spoken with a mortgage lender to determine your purchasing power? That's usually where I like to start because that's something that we can help them with especially if they don't understand the process, if they don't know who to reach out to, or maybe they went online and got an online pre-approval and said, yeah, you know, I filled out this application. I got this pre-approval. Awesome. I'd also love to connect you with another local lender or whoever it is that you feel comfortable, like you as the agent and your team feel comfortable working with and have had good relationships and close business with before. Because the most important thing right now, especially in my opinion, is getting them through the pre-approval process, get them as fully underwritten as a buyer as possible because it saves you a tremendous amount of time later on down the road. They will understand everything that they need to get to the lender. They need the checklist of all the documents that they have to get to them if they haven't already completed that process. And then also to understanding that the most important thing about this isn't necessarily the price of the house, but it's what is their monthly payment that they are going to be comfortable with. Because most people don't think about it from that standpoint. What I found is they don't even have a clue of what their monthly payment might actually be. Yes, Zillow has calculators. Yes, there's calculators online that they can use and kind of try out. But the easiest way to do this is get, get, get them connected with the lender that you know and like and trust and have done business with to help them kind of explain their options. Because what I also find too, is that especially with um, some of the bigger banks, like they just like to give out FHA pre-approvals just because it's easy for people to get approved. Hey, here's your pre-approval based off of these answers to your questions. And then now they have a pre-approval letter. So that would be a question that you could ask. We've got an FHA buyer with another lender getting a second opinion. Can this buyer actually get to a conventional loan? And you don't have to dive into the specifics with the buyer right then and there. But like these are the things that are going on behind the scenes in my head where I'm trying to figure out the answers to these questions on how I can actually set them up with a conversation with the lender because they're going to be the expert on all of these options and all of their different um, loan programs and things of that nature as well, too. So that's the first step is really kind of getting that financial uh, picture out of the way and kind of easing their mind with that. If they have questions about it, knowing that we have a local resource, knowing that that local resource will answer the phone, you know, in the evenings or on the weekends when we actually need them and not just work during banking hours, it helps kind of get everyone on the same page uh, before we start diving into more of the specifics of the buyer's consultation. So that's usually where I start. So go back to with the lender. Lender is a very important strategic partner. So you want to make sure you have a really good lender. To Jeff's point, like our lender that we work with that we started working with a long time ago, my thought, my conversation when we first started working was, look, we don't work normal hours. You know, we have clients that want to get pre-approved on weekends, nights. You have to be a lender that's prepared to do that. You have to be a lender that's prepared to pick up the phone at seven o'clock. Like I get work-life balance. I understand that. And it's important that we make money and that we provide the best service possible to our client. So having a lender on board that's going to take calls on weekends, that's going to take calls at seven o'clock at night if you have a buyer consultation, that's very important that you have a partner like that. So just something to keep in mind, didn't mean to cut you off there, but I think that's a very important piece when your, your customer service is going to be a direct, direct reflection of the people that you work with as well. There are things out of our control, like the lender. We can't really control their process. We can control who we choose to work with, though, that we know has a good process. Same thing with title companies. We don't control the title process, but we can choose to work with the title company that we know has a good process to make us look good. Because if you're using somebody that's just always messing things up, it's not a good reflection of you. 
So make sure that doesn't happen. So go ahead, Jeff. It's, it's a really good like point right now because it's more important now to be having a great lender that can do the homework on the buyer and get them to the point where if you've got a great lender, so this just happened you know, last week, we had a buyer, we went out for a showing, uh, it was six o'clock at night. They said, yeah, you know, we've been talking to our bank, we've been trying to figure out some different scenarios on how to raise our credit so that we can get a better interest rate. I said, awesome, are you open to a second opinion? Sent their information over to our lender, it was six o'clock at night, banks closed, most of the lenders aren't gonna answer the phone. She picked up the phone, she called them, she had the conversation with them and, and she won them over by being so responsive immediately. And that's the key is that I had just left the conversation with them and the, the showing with them. I said, okay, I'll have our lender follow up with you. Not but 20 minutes later, she was able to call them talk through the application, talk through their scenarios that they had mentioned to me that they were talking about with the bank and figured out a loan program, figured out what their product was that they needed uh, to be able to close on this house. And as far as everything's concerned now, like they're, they're going to be working with her instead of the bank. So you have, to have, you have to have a lender right now that you trust. The other thing too, is that like our lenders have uh, basically a program in place where they're doing the underwriting for the buyer. And what that means is that if you have a buyer, you have to look at it from two different standpoints. You have the buyer and their financial picture, and then you have the house and what you're writing the offer for and what that appraisal value is. Those are two separate worlds. So you can take the buyer and you can give the buyer to the lender. The lender can go through and they can check and verify their income. They can check and verify their employment. They can check and verify their credit scores, all of their debt to income ratio, their assets, how much cash they have in the bank. You don't have to have a house picked out in order to do that part of the approval process. We're at a point in time in the market where I highly, highly, highly recommend you get all of that squared away before going and showing people houses. Because if you've got a, a rock solid buyer from that perspective, you know that you're not wasting anybody's time. You're not wasting the buyer's time. You're not wasting lender's time. You're not wasting your own time. You're not wasting a listing agent's time. Everyone's on the same page that you have the most pre-approved and serious satisfied buyer and they will be able to close on this house. The other thing that it does is that once you go through that pre-approval process with the buyer, it allows you to shorten your closing dates on any offers that you're writing because the underwriting for the buyer is already done. Now all you have to do is get out there. The lender can order the appraisal right away, like within a day or two of going, basically the day after that it gets accepted, they're going to order the appraisal and then the appraiser is going to show up within, call it five days. And you'll know if you're going to run into any appraisal issues within the first week of being under contract. Like that's an extremely motivating and extremely uh, powerful buyer if you're a listing agent and that's someone that you would wanna be under contract with. It also makes your buyer look extremely powerful as well too because if other buyers and other buyers agents and you're up against them in a multiple offer situation aren't having these conversations and their buyers aren't as far along in the pre-approval and financing process, you immediately are ahead. And that's what I'm looking for is any advantage that we can possibly have to give ourselves even the tiniest bit of an edge by doing something as simple as making sure that your buyer's good to go on financing, which you're going to have to do anyway. Like you might as well be doing all that upfront ahead of time. So I put a ton of emphasis now on that initial conversation around financing and lender and getting them as pre-approved as much as possible. Yeah. All great points. So, so you're talking with them about the financing. 
Then how do we get into, and then you're shifting into what topic conversation of what's important to them at home, correct? Yes, exactly. So there's a couple of things that we want to cover here. So the couple of things that are going to be the most important to them is I divide it into two sections. I talk about first the experience. So the experience of buying a house with us. So we're going to separate the experience from what the must haves are in the house. We're going to get to that second. We'll talk about the experience first, because most people never even think about that, especially people if they've bought a house with someone before, they really probably didn't think much about the experience or the process or like, oh, we know everything about how to do this, which if that if they do, awesome, you're already far enough ahead. This is extremely important, though, if you're talking with first time home buyers when they're talking about the experience, because you'll find out things like what are important to them. So we'll ask, you know, in order to make this a 10 out of 10 experience for you, what what things have to happen? What what is one thing that has to happen to make this a 10 out of 10 experience? And they might say something as simple as, you know, uh, find me the house that I want within a certain time frame or find me a good deal on a house or just find like it's going to be very softball, general, generic questions. Like there's nothing revolutionary in this conversation. It just gets them talking and it gets open, open conversation. Um, they'll say things like, well, I, you know, I want to make sure that, you know, we're learning about what we should be looking for in a house or we're learning about this is our first time. We don't know what we're supposed to be looking for. So we're going to lean on you to look at things within the house that we should know or ask questions that we should know. That's a that's a really good avenue for you to be able to build your rapport with them, but also more importantly, like your expertise and for them to buy into using you as their buyer's agent. And then you can kind of lay out some of the things that make uh, your team unique or some of the ways that you're able to give your experience on things. So like some ways that I'll, I'll talk about that are, you know, we buy properties ourselves, we invest in properties ourselves. So we're looking at big ticket items that a lot of people are going to gloss over. So we'll look at the furnace, the air conditioning, the water heater, the roof, the things that aren't glamorous and cosmetic, but we'll know that you will know on the back end of things too, that you've got a house that has good bones, good foundation, and anything that we would have questions on if we were to buy the house, we're making sure that we're asking those listing agents the same questions as well too. So just simple stuff like that, like it just helps build trust within the process. That's what that initial kind of first half is. So how do you get a 10 out of 10? Uh, how do you make it a 10 plus experience? How do you make it a 10 plus plus experience? Eventually you'll get to the point where they don't have anything else. And then you're going to switch gears into asking them, great. We know that unless we had an unlimited budget and an unlimited amount of time, buyers are usually finding anywhere between 70 to 80% of the things that they want in their house. And we are going to narrow this down to three must haves that your next house absolutely has to have. It's non-negotiable in order for this to be a great fit for you. What would you say the first must have it your next house has to have would be? And then they'll say whatever their yeah, must so have. Say, uh, I want a big yard. You want a big yard. Excellent, Michael. I definitely understand that you want a big yard. What's important to you about a big yard? Uh, well, I've got a dog, so I just want to make sure it's fenced in so I can just let him out and let him run around. That's awesome, Michael. What kind of dog do you have? Uh, German Shepherd. A German Shepherd? Awesome. So I bet it's very energetic, loves to run. Yeah, it does. Excellent. Yeah. How big of a yard are you thinking? Is there a certain acreage that you're looking for? Oh, no. It just needs to be kind of like flat and level. So I don't know, maybe like quarter acre or even smaller. As long as it's fenced, that's kind of all that matters. Absolutely. So as long as it's about a quarter an acre and as long as it's fenced, that's excellent. Michael, if we found the perfect house, though, on a flat yard and it was at least a quarter acre and it may not necessarily have the fence right now, but it had the ability to put up a fence. Would that still be a good fit for you if you could build a fence later down the road? Yeah, as long as it was a flat yard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Excellent. Yeah. So we'll make sure that we do our, our, our research and make sure that there's no big hills or anything in the backyard for you. So we'll try to find as flat of a yard as possible. And then I'll also make sure that when I'm talking to the listing agent, if they know of any fencing restrictions, we'll make sure that it's not in that case where you can definitely put a fence if there's not one currently. How does that sound? Sounds great. Awesome. So, so, so like, you yeah, <laughs> I was just going to say right there. So uncovering, I said I wanted a big yard. A big <laughs> yard to me could be a tenth of an acre as long as it's That's right. A big yard to Jeff might be three acres. That's so right. we have to keep going deeper on that and not just assuming. We can't just assume that a big yard is what I think a big yard is. It's what's important about that. What's a big yard to you? What size would you like? And, and what, I, what, what I came to the conclusion there was, I just want a flat yard that's fenced in or can be fenced <laughs> that in. That can be fenced. Big, right. Really, right. I said a quarter acre even less would work. So that's typically not that big of a yard. But, you know, if had Jeff not kept asking questions, Jeff might be out searching for a one acre lot. And I'm not sure about a one acre lot. Like I hate cutting yep. grass. I just need something that my dog can run around it. Yes. And so, so very important. All right, keep going. Cool. And the other thing I was going to say with that too, is don't feel like you can only have one follow-up question. Cause that's what sometimes people get in the habit of is like, you tell me you want a big yard. Okay. Well, I got to ask like one follow-up question and that's it. Like keep the conversation going about that yard, about the dog, about what that looks like. Do they have people over? Do they have, uh, do they want a patio? Do they do a lot of barbecues? Like that's what you've got to figure out. You've got to figure out your buyer's lifestyle, how they're going to be using it. Because when you're on that showing, then say, for example, he says, Oh, I want about a quarter of an acre. Well, does that mean that you're going to, you know, take out, everything that's less, like slightly less than a quarter of an acre. No, you're not. It's all about the layout and how that looks. So it's kind of a situation where if you were to fast forward and we were on a showing, I would say, okay, Michael, this is a flat yard. You do have the ability to fence this in. It's on, you know, a, a fifth of an acre or whatever it's on. And then you can go through the conversation around, does this fit for your dog? Is this enough room for them to run around in? Like, is this what you're looking for? So there's easy ways to uncover things in your buyer's conversation consultation in the very beginning that you're going to link back to whenever you're on those showings to kind of connect the dots. So I just want to throw that in there too. Definitely. Okay. Uh, so awesome. So we've got the big yard. That's your first must have. What would your second must have be Michael? I definitely need a three car garage. Definitely need a three car garage. Absolutely. What's important to you about a three car garage? Well, I have three cars, so I want to make sure they're all garage. I don't want anything sitting out in the driveway. Absolutely, Michael. What kind of cars do you have? I've got two Maseratis and a truck. Two Maseratis and a truck. Excellent. So you definitely need that three-car garage. How else are you going to be using your garage? Are you just needing to store the cars? Yeah, for the most part. I don't really keep a lot. I don't, I don't have somebody cut the grass and stuff, so I don't have any lawn equipment. I just uh, The big thing is I just don't want anything on the, you know, on the driveway. I want to keep everything yes. in the garage. Yeah. Completely understand. So you want to keep everything's in the garage, nothing on the driveway. So these three, the three car garage, Michael, does that have to be attached to the house? Or if that was a detached garage, like in the back or off to the side, would that be okay? I'd prefer it attached just because I don't want to have to like walk outside if it's raining and things like that. So I would really prefer a, an, an attached garage. An attached garage. Excellent. And as far as kind of the attached garage, does it have to be uh, something with a garage door? If we found something that was more of like a carport with covered parking, at least, would that be a good fit? Or do you want everything completely enclosed? No, I definitely want it all enclosed. Everything all enclosed. Excellent. Yeah. So I'll make, an, I'll make these notes on this list. So we are looking for a three-car garage completely enclosed. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be an oversized garage since you won't have much else besides the cars in there. But the most important thing is we have nothing on the driveway. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Cool. So now this is a scenario where we're looking for a three-car garage. That's what we're looking for. So that's a perfect, great example too, because if I'm looking in St. Like we're in St. Louis. So if I'm looking in St. Louis City, 
the likelihood of me finding that is there's no, there's no, it's not, it's not going to happen. So all the majority of homes in the city, at least a three car, they're all going to be detached. Mm-hmm. And then finding out too, like a lot of them have these covered carports that are still secure with fencing around it. But they're not all enclosed. So that's why Jeff's going deeper on those questions, because if I'm looking in St. Louis city, dude, you're not going to find a three car garage attached. You know, it's just not going to be possible. So we have to have to come to that realization now that is St. Louis city, the area you want to be in because right. finding this garage is not going to happen, especially having it attached. You might find a three car detached, but attached is going to be very, 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 very difficult. So going deeper on those questions is super important that we're figuring out what's important about it. So we can narrow down what areas we're focusing on and everything like that. Yep. One other thing to add on garages, especially. So a lot of the times garages are going to depend on your buyer's budget. So if you've got a buyer that says, you know, I'm at 150 or 175 or even under 200 and they absolutely have to have a three car garage, like, yeah, yeah, then you're not going to find that either. So that's a conversation where you can also have to, to the point of, you know, if we find the perfect lot that has the ability to add a garage to it at a later point in time, like say you have somebody that's a mechanic who really wants to like work in their garage and they need it from that standpoint and they were okay with a detached garage that they could add in the back or off to the side. If we find a lot that has space for you to add an area for a two-car garage in the back, would you be open to that? And if they say yes, now you know you don't have to only find something that has a two-car garage that's attached or detached to the house. So what you're trying to do is look at this from the perspective of don't just take everything as the absolute need. You've got to figure out ways how you can help grow your search and make your search bigger so that you can actually find properties that would meet their their criteria and meet their fit. Because if you're finding all of these things in the house, chances are there's going to be a lot of competition for them as well too, because that's what a lot of people want. So you have to take the different angle and say, okay, if we don't want to overpay for all of these things, what are you willing to add later? You're not trying to talk them out of their must-haves. You're just trying to get them to think about them a little bit differently. Totally agree. Good point. Awesome. And then I would go into the third must-have, and then we would have the same conversation on what that would look like too. Yeah. So it's all about just uncovering what's important about that item. What's important about it? Why do they need it? Why is it important? And the reason we're asking these questions is because now, like, if Jeff understands what I'm looking for, I need a yard, certain size, it's got to be level, and I want a three-car garage, and just um, say the third one was an open floor plan, I like it because I like to entertain or whatever. But if I start sending Jeff houses, or I start favoriting houses on his website that have no yard or a steep drop-off in two-car garages, hey, Jeff, this house looks great. It looks like everything I want, and it only has a two-car garage. Jeff's going to, before Jeff goes out and shows me this property, he's going to call me and have a conversation with me, and he's going to say, Hey, it does look like a great house. It's got an open floor plan and a great lot. And I see it only has a two-car garage. Okay. You know, I know when we spoke, when we spoke last week, you said that you absolutely had to have a three-car garage. Did something, did you sell one of the cars? Well, no, because what's going to happen? A lot of people would go show that house. That's right. And what's going to happen is they're going to walk through and be like, man, this house is perfect, but it only has a two-car garage. And you already knew that going into it. You knew it going into it. So you just wasted everybody's time. You wasted the seller's time. You wasted your time. You wasted the buyer's time because you had the seller had to leave the house. You wasted everybody's time and you already knew this. And that's why it's super important to do these buyer consultations so you can really understand what's important to them in a home. So you're not out just showing 20, 50 homes and and hoping that one of them sticks. We need to really figure out what is absolutely non-negotiable do I need to have in this house in order to move forward with it. And when you know that, you can eliminate properties and not have to spend so much time showing them houses. Like our goal is 
how do we how do we get so good at knowing what they want in the home that we only have to show them maybe three or five homes and they write an offer? Because we are going to go preview homes and eliminate houses that don't match what they need. Very important. So really knowing what's important to them at home is priority during this buyer consultation. So you, you know everything I want in the house now. What's next? Yep, absolutely. So then we're going to kind of switch back gears into more of like the process of buying the house. And so we've got like a little booklet that shows the different steps of buying a house. So I'll just kind of touch base on some of those simple things. Say this is where we are in the process right now. These are the different steps that we'll go through. We're not going to get too deep into the weeds on the process. The very first step obviously is getting the pre-approval if they don't have the pre-approval. Next, then after they have the pre-approval is us going out and home shopping. And we're going to recap all of the must-haves that we're looking for just to make sure everybody's on the same page there. Then I'll get into a couple of different things as far as uh, communication. So how do they prefer to be communicated with? Do they prefer phone calls? Do they prefer text message? Do they prefer email? Uh, what are their schedules like? What do their jobs look like? Where do they work? How late do they work? So are there certain days that we need to try to pencil in? Because what that does, it helps me block out my schedule as well too. So instead of it just being like Thursday randomly, if I know that they're going to be off on work on Thursday, I'm going to try to cram in as many showings as I can for them, especially if both parties, if you're dealing with a couple, are both going to be available on a certain specific day. You can, this is why I say you can do all of this homework. You can do all of this foundational building, like get all this stuff out of the way so that there aren't any surprises. Because if you know their schedule, they know your schedule, um, you know how they like to be communicated with. Some people say, I can't talk at work during the day here, you're going to have to talk to so-and-so. So knowing who your main person and point of contact is that you're communicating with. Um, if there is a couple, I'll ask them if they prefer to, to have like a group text that we can go through and, and use that as well too. Some people say, no, just talk to one person and then they'll, they'll deal with handling the communications. That's what you're figuring out. How does your buyer like to communicate? What is their preferred methods? Uh, how often do they want to be communicated with? And you know, when are you ready to go out and start looking at houses? Those are all really important questions. So I'll figure out timelines, uh, timeframes, and then as well too, like how, how am I going to talk with them back and forth just to make that as easy as possible in the very beginning? Yeah, great point. Great point. So it's figuring all of that out. What's important, communication style, explaining the process, then what? Uh, after that, then we're going to go into basically the importance of why we need to sign a buyer's agency agreement. And this is something that, most people don't understand how to bring up, but it's extremely easy. So after you go through having this conversation and you go through asking them all the questions, communication styles, one of the things that I talk to them about <clears throat> are a couple of things. So I ask them, number one, how are you feeling about the process so far? And it's just, I just sit back and listen. I'll say, good, we feel good, or I'm still nervous, or I still have questions. And that's what I'll ask, you know, do you have any questions about the process so far? And if they say no, then I'll say, great. Do you feel comfortable moving forward with us helping you buy your next home? If the answer to that is yes, right there, boom, I've got the buyer's agency agreement next to me. I'm bringing that over. I'm setting that in front of them. And we're going to start talking about it. So I didn't even have to ask, will you sign a buyer's agency agreement with me? Oh, I've got this document that I have to have you sign. Okay, next, you have to sign this. I'm not making it about that. I'm making it about what is the next step. And so we're taking the next step and we're having this buyer's consultation and we're going to get the agency agreement signed. There's a couple of things that I'll bring up here. You mentioned in the very beginning, you talked about like new construction, for example. This is an easy avenue to talk about where the pitfalls are going to be with a buyer that is going to either sign this agreement with you or not. 
So I'll simply say something like, you know, the state of Missouri requires written documentation that we have this agreement in place so that I can represent you in the purchase of your new home. Some of my responsibilities include looking out for your best interest, being able to negotiate on your behalf, being open and honest with you as a buyer. How do you feel about that? Yeah, that's great. Awesome. That's exactly what we want. Perfect. So the same can be said for you on your side of the table. The only thing that we ask in return is that you're open and honest with us. You communicate effectively with us. If you have any questions, please let me know. We'll, we'll get all the answers to those questions. We'll help you write contracts. Anything that they would have questions on at that point in time about that document, then you're going to start addressing those as well too. We also talk about though with new construction. So I just had this happen last week where guy came in during our buyer's consultation. He said, well, what's the benefit of working with you if I'm just going to be building new construction? And I told him, I said, the agent that you're talking to at that new construction bill does not represent you. So you have no representation. That is a rep that, that person is representing the seller. And right there, immediately, it started to click because of how you're framing that and building this up. So I didn't even really have to convince him. I said, the representation on the side of the table is, do you want to be able to, to walk in there and have representation to buy a new construction home? Yes, I do. Absolutely. Awesome. That's exactly what this is for. The great thing with our team, too, is that you pay us absolutely nothing when it comes to representing you on the buying side of the table. The seller pays our commissions because most of the time people don't know that. And so that's something that they're not typically going to ask. So I throw that out there as a benefit is that you pay us absolutely nothing. The seller takes care of paying our commissions and, and you have that representation. And so once you're kind of building up all these good reasons for people to want to work with you, there's basically no reason for them to object. They've already said that they feel comfortable with the process. They already said that they wanted to move forward with you. Then you're framing this as the next step for them to take. And then we'll go over the document. Basically, it's very simple. You're just kind of, I highlight the lines where it says like, you pay us $0 out of pocket, seller pays our commissions. And then like, if they have any other questions on the actual wording of the different types of representation, then we'll go over that. But most of the time they don't. So it's not even the document itself that they have questions on because you're creating a much more fluid conversation. You're not going line by line or paragraph by paragraph in order to do that. Like you're explaining these terms and things to them, but you're not reading it to them. Like that's the worst thing that you could do. And I think that that's where a lot of people get hung up on is like, well, what do I do with this document? Like, I don't know. If you don't know how to explain it, that's where you start as a buyer's agent. If you don't know how to explain a buyer's agency agreement on what each of the pages are and what the different types of representation are and what the responsibilities are, that's your, that's your thing that you need to be doing like now before you meet with a buyer and you need to understand that document. If you've never read the whole thing, read the whole thing, highlight the parts that matter to you or stand out to you. And then all you have to do is explain those parts to the, to the buyer when you're sitting there. If it's like your first or second or third or fourth time trying to go through a buyer's consultation with a buyer right in front of you, chances are good that you're going to stumble through that. And any question that they have, they are going to throw you off your game during that consultation. So do your homework ahead of time, practice your buyer's consultation. Most of this all comes down to practice. Yeah. It comes down to being able to talk about it, being able to run scenarios and role playing that with people on your team or somebody that you know, and until you get really good and confident with delivering your script around it, that's all it is. It's, it's a very simple document if you actually read it. And it, it's practice. So it's practicing this, practicing your closes, practicing how to, how to convey or you know, how to explain it. There's 95% of realtors probably never read the buyer agency agreement. They never read the sale contracts. It happens all the time. You can go into a room of 100 agents and the bulk of them have never even read the sale contract and they may have sold 100 houses or more. So it's amazing that just reading it and being prepared and be able to hit the highlights on that document and being able to effectively explain it and give them time to read it. If they want to read the whole thing, that's totally fine. But being able to have that conversation. So 
So you're setting it up too to explain to them that new construction, why it's important that they're being represented on new construction. Same thing, are you explaining open houses as well? If they walk into an open house and end up, you know, the, the realtor's like, hey, I can write the offer for you. How do you how do you tee that up to explain that? 100%, yep. So I'm doing actually three things. So it's gonna be the new construction, it'll be the open houses, and it's gonna be for sale by owners. Don't shy away from for sale by owners, but this is why you have to have the conversation with the buyer. Hey buyer, if you find a uh, an open house and you want to go to the open house, just let them know that you're working with an agent. You can go and look at as many open houses as you'd like. If they ask if you're being represented, just tell them yes. You can give them my contact information. You can actually sign in on their sheet using my contact information as well too, so they don't blow up your phone with phone calls and texts and emails that you don't want. And in addition to that, if you find a for sale by owner, the nice thing here is that most of the for sale by owners are not going to be listed in the MLS. So we will potentially have less competition. The most important thing that I need you to do though, is let me know whenever you're going to look at a for sale by owner or a new construction so that I can start the conversation. I can get us registered with new construction, especially in order to get us in there to set a time to go and see the house and the property. Same thing with for sale by owner. We just want to make sure that you are protected on your side of the table. And then I'll be able to negotiate on your behalf, set up our showing and then write us an offer if you're interested in the property. How does that sound? Yeah. Sounds great. Like, exactly. You're not, That's yeah, you're not, you're not saying I like, it's not a, questioning thing. It's a, how does this sound? And it's your job. It's your responsibility to make it sound like it's the best thing in the world, what you just said. And if yeah. you didn't make it sound like it was the best thing in the world to what you just said, shame on you. Cause that's a script that you'll have to work on in order to convince them. So you don't need to shy away. You just keep building up the energy on why the first and the only thing that you literally need them to do is reach out to you and let me know when you're going and looking at any of those. Awesome. So I love you've explained financing. We explain how to get them into your office. At least just one little script. There's 10 others, but go to our script group. Um, <laughs> how to get them in the office, financing. We're moving into what's important to them in a home and really uncovering why those things are important. Right? And then explaining the process and then going in for the close to get them to sign an agent, agency agreement to, to basically a loyalty agreement. Go back to the process real quick. How are you, um, what conversations are you having right now with people to, let them know up front that they might have to overpay for a house, not overpay. They might have to pay over asking for a house. They might have to waive appraisals, may have to put more earnest money down, may have to be non-refundable. How does that conversation look with people and how are you educating them to realize that uh, the market's not like it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago, or like when their parents bought a house in 1985 and it was listed at 150,000, they could offer 135. So how are we explaining that right now if a house is 250 grand and it's had 57 showings in the first 20 minutes that it's been on the market, you may have to offer over asking. What is that kind so of this is, like? Yeah, this is actually one of my favorite parts of the buyer's consultation because you can actually take time to educate them about the market. And what you're doing here is you're getting ahead of any scenario where, just like you mentioned, if they've got a parent that's going to be coming along with them, if they've got any other relative that's going to be coming along with them or someone that's giving them their you know, expertise or opinion on the market on how it was when they bought a house, you've already had this conversation with them first because you did it during your buyer's consultation, which means that if a parent shows up on a showing with them and they start talking about how we should go under the asking price, you can already address, well, hey, remember when we talked in our buyer's consultation when I updated you about the market and the market conditions. And so that's what I'll talk to them about. And I'll make it very clear that we are talking about the current market. So we've got this book, like I say, that lines out all the different steps of where you are in the process. And so when I talk about this, one of the things that I'll say is I also want to update you on the market conditions that we're currently experiencing. 
Right now, there's a lot of demand in the market, which means that we may be in competitive offer situations where we're not the only offer on the table for the seller. So what that means is we have to write our offer as competitively as possible. And this could mean a couple of different things and different options that we can use in order to make us competitive. The first and foremost, obviously the most important is the price. The pricing in this case, no matter what the listing price is, just because it's listed at a certain price does not mean that's the value of the property of the home. That's one thing that we always have to take into consideration. So what this means is that some listing agents will intentionally price their house low, their listing low, in order to create a lot of frenzy and a lot of demand in order to build up offers above the asking price. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're overpaying for the home, but it is being used as a marketing tactic. And since there's very high demand and lower supply, this is one of the reasons why we may have to offer over the asking price. Before we decide price, I'll look at numbers on my end. I'll look at other comparable sales. I'll look at tax records and assessments and different valuation models that we use to determine if this price is low, if it's high, if it's spot on, and then what we would need to do to compete. One way to figure out if we have to go over the asking price is asking how many offers are on the table, as well as are those offers over the asking price. And that's a conversation I'll have with the listing agent if we know we're in a competitive offer situation. So I'm not saying we have to offer 10,000 over. I'm not saying we have to offer 20,000 over. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying case by case scenario, we are going to have to look at pricing in order to be competitive, we may have to offer over the asking price, but that's okay because the listing price does not mean that's the value of the home. That's the most important thing that you have to drive in. The list price doesn't mean that that's what it's worth. And then if I have to go 10,000 over, I'm, I'm overpaying. You want to try to get away from using those words with them so that they never feel like they're having to overpay. They're happy to pay in order to get the house and to get the property. And then Obviously, you'll have conversations about appraisals and what that means when you go to write the offer. Not right now, because that's like a lot. Just right. what I said there is a lot on them. But it's, it's basically unlocking the fact that we know that we may have to compete on price. Then I'll talk to them about, in addition to just price, there are certain terms that we can use in order to have the most competitive offer possible. And that's where we'll talk about uh, their ability to do inspections. And they have multiple different options here. So you can do inspections. There are three different options. You can do inspections on a property and then you have the ability to terminate the contract and ability to negotiate the repairs with the seller. What a lot of the most competitive offers are doing right now, though, is that they're either waiving their inspections entirely or they're waiving uh, their inspections to do them just for their own informational purposes, meaning that they're not going to ask the seller to actually repair things when it comes to purchasing a house. What this means is that if you are very interested in writing an offer on a house, we need to make sure that we're looking at as much as possible in an in-depth way as possible once we're actually there at the property. And I'll help with looking at the different uh, big ticket items or anything that I see that would be an issue. I'll also be re reviewing the seller's disclosures to see if there's any uh, anything in there in the property that needs to be repaired that the sellers know about or anything that's given them issues in the past. And then we can make an educated decision on how we want to write this clause when it comes to the inspections. So the, the key here is like, when you go to write the offer, you're going to have to repeat everything that I just said to them, even though I've just talked to them about it uh, on the buyer's consultation. What I'm trying to do is expose them to like these concepts, because at least if I'm planting it in their head, they might not say, OK, I understand everything and I know exactly what you mean. And that's fine. They probably shouldn't at this point. But 
the thing here is that when you bring it up again, you can always relate back to, hey, remember when we were sitting down in our buyer's consultation and we mentioned writing the most competitive offer possible? Mm-hmm. Or if you've got someone that says, you know, this, this house is listed for 250, I don't want to go above 260 because I think I'm paying $10,000 over the, the overprice. I don't want to pay too much, but the house is really worth 275 or 285. Now you can go back to that and say, hey, remember when we talked during the buyer's consultation, it's not about the specific number that tells you that you're overpaying because this listing price typically is just to get them to the house. So they've actually listed this price lower than what a market house would sell for, knowing that they're going to get more offers. So we need to go up to 20,000 over, 25,000 over. That's how I've been able to have good luck with people because I know like some agents will say, well, I can't get my buyer to offer more than $10,000. Well, that's because of the way that you're framing it. Yeah. If you framed it as $10,000 over, oh my gosh, this is a lot. But what happens if the house is $40,000 below what a market price for that house is going for in the area? Well, guess what? You need to probably go 50 over. Yeah, exactly. And if, if the house appraises, you're in good shape. So that's why I, I always refrain from trying to talk like numbers to them until I know exactly what I'm dealing with on the number side of the table. And then really, truly, like you just let the numbers talk for themselves because mm-hmm. you show them what houses are selling for you show them the percentage of what the list price is compared to the sold price and then from there you don't have to convince them because you're showing them and if they still want to come in low then you're not going to get the house and that's the key thing to remember i try to frame it as you know if we're up against 10 offers on a house number one the first place offer gets that house second place through 10th place get absolutely nothing right we have to be in first place in order to get this house and if this is a house that you want I'm going to go over all of your options to write it as competitively as I can. That's a great point. And I think it's a good point that you made too. Like you're not going, you're, you're kind of, you're doing a high level overview of the process in, in, to an extent, because you're going to have to go over all of this again when they submit the offer. Right. So we want to start planting seeds right now, but we don't want to inundate them or overwhelm them with all of this information and every single market statistic and all this stuff going on where they're just like, Whoa, wait a minute. We just need to give them enough information to, prepare them for what's coming when they decide to make an offer. Right. And then we can go deeper on that offer and what this home is worth by showing the comparable, showing the recent home sales, everything like that. But you don't need to overwhelm them at the buyer consultation. The, the goal of the buyer consultation is to really solidify yourself as their realtor, as a professional, make sure their financing's in order, make sure we understand what they want in their next home, and then cover the overview of the process so they're educated on the process so they know next steps. But it's not to just like, just over in here's everything. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I think those are great points. So you're, so you're preparing them for what's to come with the market, getting them ready for um, potentially having to offer over list price on potentially, not always, but potentially, and really explaining the process at a high level. So that way you can go deeper when the time comes that when you need to have those conversations at a deeper level. Exactly right. Yes. Pretty sweet. Because you will have to anyway, even if you have the deepest conversation with them on a buyer's consultation, when it comes to actually writing the offer and submitting the offer, you're going to review all of that information again. So there's no sense in going deep into the weeds in the very beginning. Just give them the highlights, give them the concepts, and then you can loop back to those concepts uh, whenever it comes time to actually write it. I agree. And so I think like we covered a lot, and I think that's probably why people don't do their buyer consultation more often. It's because it's a process, but it's a learned process like anything else. So if you're practicing this stuff, it's easy. It's when you're winging it and practicing it on the client that it's difficult because that's when the uhs and the ums and oh gosh, and I don't know what I'm doing, all that uncertainty comes out. So you need to start putting your process together now 
for what your buyer consultation looks like. If nothing else, just, just put the framework together. They come in, you're going to greet them, understand why, they were, why they're looking for a home, right? figure out the financing, have a good lender on board, go over three things they absolutely have to have in a home, why it's important, keep asking and uncovering questions for those things as to why they're important to them. So we can really figure out what, what those three must-haves are, move into the little bit of the process, and then talk about your agency agreement or loyalty agreement. Get them to get on board with that and get them out and start looking at houses. It doesn't have to be super overcomplicated. You just have to have a process in place and start practicing it. Practice it with people in your office. Practice it on your family members. This is actually, if you're a new agent or even if you're an existing agent, this is a great database call to people as well. Look, I'm looking to refine and practice my, my presentation skills. Would you be open to be practicing a buyer consultation on you? Like it's another way to get in front of your database. You know, I'll give you a $25 gift card, a $50 gift card, or I don't know, whatever. But it's just another conversation. But the more you can practice this stuff, the easier it's going to get. And like Jeff, it just flows off his tongue. It's like second nature because he's done so many of them over the last four or five years. It's not like he just did this once and then just wings it every time he gets a buyer. It's these things are happening almost every week, whether he's practicing or doing it live on a client that he's got. He's doing this stuff constantly. And that's why it's so much easier. And that's a really good point that I want to add. Like that is the process of practicing hundred uh, over a hundred times of a buyer consultation that normally we try to do it in like a half an hour or less. Mm -hmm. like, commit to practicing. And if you aren't committing to practicing on your own while you're by yourself, like how do you expect to convince anyone when you're sitting down with them at the table? And it's the real life situation. And you have one chance. You have them in there for one buyer consultation. You don't have a redo. You can redo your practices as many times as you possibly want. If you don't have anybody to practice with, just record yourself and listen back to it, and figure out like where your framework is and figure out those basic concepts of, I know I have certain highlights that I want to hit. Did I hit those certain highlights in my script whenever we you know, deliver that buyer's consultation? And I think the other thing interchangeably too is like the script isn't to be used as memorizing line by line and word for word. So the script is to keep you on track. And so even if all you have is the framework, you can use that as basically your script. You don't have to have everything written out word for word. We do, which helps a lot of new agents, you know, memorize things and understand where they're heading to next. But it's never a situation where it's like, oh, I forgot like this line or, oh, I forgot this word or this phrase to use. If you're hitting the big concepts and you're hitting your framework, but you have to practice this stuff a hundred times in yeah. order to understand like how to make it conversational and not sound like a robot and just it comes off really, really naturally as long as you practice. Yeah, that's why people don't like scripts though, because they think they sound like a robot. And it's because right. you do sound like a robot when you first start. That's right. And you're supposed to, like you're internalizing, you're learning a script verbatim. And once you have that script internalized, you don't sound like a robot anymore. Like everything Jeff and I say for the most part throughout the day is a script and no <laughs> one would ever know because we practice it thousands and thousands and thousands of times that it just sounds natural. It just sounds like it's naturally coming out, even though it's all a pre-written script of most of what we say, any objection we get, anything we it's, it's all scripting, but none of it sounds, we don't sound like robots any longer. Right. We did when we first started. For sure. Now we don't because it's internalized. So you have to get over that. Like, oh, and the other thing too, like I don't want it to be scripted if there's that, yeah, just get really good at it and it's going to sound natural. And then you're going to sound like a really good sales professional. You're going to sound like That's a right. super polished professional that knows what they're doing. The other thing for people that might be listening, I hear a lot is, well, all of my business is my SOI. So I don't need to do this formal stuff. I don't, have, I don't do formal listing presentations. I don't do buyer consultations. If you're only working with your database, it's even more important that you do this stuff because you're going to set yourself up as a professional. It's not just like, oh, you know, Michael's my cousin, so I'm going to sell my house with him. It's 
Michael's my cousin, so I'm going to sell my house with him because he does the best job of anyone out there. That's the way you want to solidify yourself. So be the professional regardless, like do the presentation all the time. Because if you skip steps in the process, that's when they're going to get frustrated. Even if it's your mom looking for a house, if you show her 50 houses because you didn't really sit down and figure out what's important to her at home, she's going to get frustrated. Right. Maybe she ends up not moving or she ends up renting or, or something like that. So don't skip the process. Get really good at the process and do it 100% of the time. Your conversions are going to get better. The amount of time, your dollar per hour is going to go up because you're not going to spend tons of time showing them houses that don't match what they're looking for. And you're going to make more money. That's the key. The other thing, yeah, the other thing too is like going back to knowing this as a quote unquote script, like you can have this conversation over the phone. If you're having people that you've never met with and you're trying to set appointments with, you can start throwing some of these things from your buyer consultation into the equation of your conversations on the phone to try to set the appointments. But you're not going to be able to do that if you don't have your scripts locked in so that you can bring it up naturally in a conversation and you can pick up in the middle of a conversation or a middle of a buyer conversation and not go from beginning to middle to end. That's the key thing too, is that if you know it backwards and forwards, no matter where you're at, you can jump in and out and you can use all of those interchangeably, no matter who you're talking to, whether it's family, whether it's a stranger, whether it's an internet lead, or whether it's a buyer coming in for the consultation. Agreed. Great points. So hope that helps. We covered a lot. Hopefully that's helpful to you. Jeff, I appreciate you being on and sharing all your insights and uh, we'll catch you guys all next time. Thanks so much. All right. See ya. See ya.